This is an audio presentation of God First Church, Cheltenham, England. A community of Jesus followers, worshipping God first, proclaiming God first, and together living God first lives. For more information, visit our website at godfirst.org.uk. Thanks very much. Hey, good morning. How are we doing? All right? It's good to be together, isn't it? It's good to be in the presence of God. Is this working okay? I think so. We are, um, if you've got a Bible with you, you might like to grab it. We're in Acts chapter 2. If you don't have a Bible, don't worry, it's going to come up on the screen. But if you do, or maybe one on your device there, on your phone, Acts chapter 2. We're in week 3 of a short series called Devoted. And we're kind of asking this question, really. What does it look like for as a church? What does it mean for the local church, the community of God's believers as a body and as a family to live and grow together in devotion to Jesus? What does it mean to live a devoted life together? And we've been looking at the example of the early church recorded in the book of Acts, and we see that they devoted themselves, which we'll read again in just a moment, to a bunch of key things that kind of characterise their life together. And we're looking and really asking the question, how and why could we and should we apply these things to our life here? And I've been asked to speak this morning, which I'm very pleased to do, on the subject of being a church who are devoted together, so corporately when we gather together, being a church that are devoted to worship and prayer. And uh, I was asked to do that, and I said, yeah, that sounds great. And then the more I started thinking about it, the more I thought, that's a massive subject. I mean, that is enormous. I mean, we could preach every Sunday for a year about worship, we could preach every Sunday a year about prayer and we wouldn't even kind of touch the sides of it would we we wouldn't even exhaust the scope and I understand actually we're going to be looking uh, a bit more uh, detail in a series on prayer in a few uh, months time but actually in many ways prayer and worship they're inextricably linked and what I want to do today in the kind of time that we've got together is frame the idea like this we want to be a people who gather to meet with God We want to be a people who are devoted to gathering together with an expectation that we're going to meet with God. And so I'm going to just read the passage. It's the same passage that Sophie read last week and that Howard read the week before. That is deliberate. Uh, And then I'll pray and then we'll get straight to it. So Acts chapter 2, we're picking it up in verse 42. This is what it says. And they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and the fellowship to the breaking of bread and the prayers, and awe came upon every uh, every soul. Awe, it's the language of worship, isn't it? Awe came upon every soul, and many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles. All who believed were together and had all things in common. They were selling their stuff, their possessions, their belongings, and they were distributing the proceeds to all as any had need. Day by day, attending the temple together, so gathering to worship and breaking bread in their homes, They received their food with glad and generous hearts, praising God and having favour with all the people. And the Lord added to their number, day by day, those who were being saved. Father, we thank you so much 
for all that you've done for us. We thank you so much for the opportunity to gather in your presence. We thank you for the great truth we sung this morning. This is amazing grace. This is unfailing love that Jesus would come and give his life, that we could have life, that we could have freedom. It's extraordinary to think that we have access right directly into the presence of God because of all that Jesus has done for us. And we're so grateful. And we ask now for the help of the Holy Spirit. Holy Spirit, would you come and be our teacher? Would you enlarge the capacity of our hearts and minds to understand and grasp and grapple with all that you'd show us? Would you just, yeah, enlarge the capacity hearts open the eyes of our hearts that we would see you come and do holy spirit what you do and that's point us to jesus we invite you in jesus name amen amen okay so it says they devoted themselves themselves is this working keeps going in and out doesn't it um i want you to pay attention to that word sophie excellently last week and uh, howard the week uh, before both made this point that we are all devoted to things We all devote ourselves to things. We all have things that are central in our lives that we live for, that we think about constantly, that to some degree we pursue with purpose, that we dream about, that we spend our time thinking about and our money and our affection and our attention on. And I'd ask you that question this morning. What is it that you're devoted to? The human heart craves, desires, yearns, longs to worship. We were made that way. The Bible tells us in John chapter 4, God is seeking worshippers. Okay, God is seeking worshippers. He's not looking for converts, he's looking for worshippers. He's after our hearts. Our worship matters to him. He wants us to seek his face. He wants to meet with us. Devotion, adoration, love and commitment to God expressed in prayer and worship is central to all that we do individually but also when we gather together. I put it to you that it's why we were made to declare and express our worship and pursue intimacy and relationship with God. Ultimately worship is the human response to the divine initiative and everyone worships. Everyone's a worshipper. Do you know I had a um, had an unfortunate incident in Ikea a little while ago. Some of you might think that that sounds nice, going to Ikea. Others of you, you're, you're shut down already. I went to, I went to Ikea, and um, it was a disaster. So, first of all, it took us ages to get in there. So, we, we got there, waiting in the car park. It took probably 20 minutes to find somewhere to park the car. It felt like two hours. And I've never seen... So many people, people were just abandoning their cars. You know, it's like the scene of an end of the world movie where people are just kind of throwing their cars everywhere, double parking, just kind of, and you get in there. I've never seen so many people in such a small space at one time. And you know what it's like, you're kind of, if you've been there before, you kind of follow the arrows around, don't you, on the, uh, uh, around, around the showroom and you're sort of herded around, you know. It's like being on the London underground in the rush hour. You know, you can't go against the flow. You can't go off piste. You spend most of your time sort of trying to pre- preserve your own sort of sense of personal space and kind of keep out of the next person's underarms you know what I mean so I know that's not very nice but that's that's true isn't it and um, honestly it was terrible it was so busy and people were fighting literally in the aisles to try and get the things off the shelves people are pushing and shoving and you know the the queues at the checkouts were enormous people are quoting the old testament it wasn't quite like that but yeah people are queuing and sort of panic buying meatballs like it's the end of the world you know and (laughs) we uh, we got back in the car and I thought wow that was hard work 
And then I thought to myself, do you know what? Some people are really devoted to this. And you'd have to be really devoted to come and do this every week. Some people, you know, they're sort of chasing after getting more stuff. They're prioritising their houses. The thing that kind of they're, they're, they live for is the more monster, getting more stuff. Because if only I just had the next thing, or if only my house looked a little bit better, or if only I had the next thing, my house, my life would be better, I'd be satisfied, I'd be complete, I'd be fulfilled. I'm putting it to you that we express our devotion in lots of things. I scared my uh, one of my boys a few uh, weeks ago, probably a couple of months now. Um, I was watching the football, and uh, Harry Kane scored. And I jumped out of the chair. Yes! You know, I really sort of shouted, and the sort of, I don't want to say the house was shaking. It wasn't like that. But, I mean, it really made him jump. He was really kind of really scared and I thought to myself once I'd calmed him down we get really excited about some things don't we we can really express our devotion our commitment in the wrong things perhaps it's a question of perspective isn't it the point is this that the human heart desires craves and yearns longs to worship and we all worship something and this morning what I want to do is I want to think about when we gather together. So corporately, on a Sunday morning, or if we come to a prayer meeting, gathering to meet with God, prioritising our devotion and our affection where our devotion and affection should be. I think often when we think about worship, we think about the worship time, don't we? Like The reality is that the whole of life is supposed to be worship. Worship isn't this kind of pre-programmed, ritual it's not this kind of thing that you come to on a Sunday morning and then you don't turn it on again until you come back next time it's not on and off it's not well we'll worship now and then we'll 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 take a pause for a week and we'll come back next next Sunday no do you know what it's the whole of life it's ongoing it's a lifestyle worship's an attitude it's a posture of the heart it's an undercurrent to your prayer life worship isn't just singing it's more than that it's Worship is how you conduct yourself, it's how you express yourself, it's how you live your life before God, be that in prayer or in song, or being generous, or serving one another. The Bible says that in view of God's mercy, our appropriate response is to present ourselves in worship. I want to say this morning that there's something special, there's something vital about gathering to God, about coming together to meet with him, united in heart to express our devotion. Martin Luther, the great reformer, he said this, to gather with God's people in united adoration of the Father is as necessary to Christian life as prayer. To gather with God's people in united adoration of the Father is as necessary to the Christian life as prayer. That's a statement, isn't it? And this morning what I want us to look at together is being a people who are devoted together to prayer and worship. But when we come together on a Sunday, when we gather corporately for prayer, and for the purpose of this morning and to do justice to the subject in the kind of half an hour that we've got and to do justice to the text that we've just read, I'm not really, I just want you to kind of get this at the front, I'm not particularly trying to distinguish between a worship service on a Sunday morning or a prayer meeting at another conference. Okay, They might have slightly different emphasis. Sometimes, slightly different elements sometimes. But I'm not trying to distinguish between the both because in reality, worship is more than singing and prayer is more than just asking God for stuff, isn't it? In both cases, you can't really separate them out in some senses. Devotion to God expressed in worship or in prayer, they're both declarations of our confidence in and dedication to God. They're both the ways that we treat God as God. 
And actually, frankly, all those meetings are often fueled by worship, right? They're fueled by worship. So I want to frame it in that way. That it's, we're talk, what we're talking about this morning is God's people gathering to God. God's people gathering together to meet with him, gathering to encounter God. And in the text that we read, when it describes their devotion, it says they devoted themselves to prayer, but then it speaks of an atmosphere of awe and praise. They're the hallmarks of worship. Yeah, that's the language of worship. It speaks of them gathering together to worship. It speaks of the presence of God clearly being manifest amongst them. We see the miraculous working of the Holy Spirit. We see the community of the believers loving God, enjoying his presence, praising him, being united in awe and adoration and joy and worship. An atmosphere of worship underpins their life together. It underpins, it gives a foundation, a platform to praying together, to breaking bread together, to sharing life together, to living in community together. A heart, an attitude, a disposition of worship. And I put it to you that coming together to worship God should be central in the life of the local church. And we really should value it very highly. Worship acknowledges God's unsurpassable greatness. And here we see the people of God gathering with this kind of attitude of reverence and awe and praise. Matt Redman, he said, when we face up to the glory of God, we find ourselves face down in worship. When we look on him, our response is to worship. Tim Keller said this, worship is seeing God, is seeing what God is worth and giving him what he's worth. I'll put it to you that worship shouldn't be the prelude to the sermon. I think sometimes we can accidentally see it like that, maybe. It's not a hymn or two with a couple of prayers. Joyful praise, heartfelt worship, songs and prayers that honour God, exalting him. They should be right at the front and the centre of everything that we do when we gather together. And talking about worship, of course, I mean, in some senses it's a controversial subject. Um, Many people will have their preferences. They'll have their thoughts on style things that they like, things that they don't like. Do you know the Bible doesn't actually contain a clear blueprint for what corporate worship should be like? It doesn't contain a clear blueprint for what exactly should happen when we uh, gather to sing and worship. It gives us some principles. But I'll tell you why. I think it's because worship is always meant to be an expression of the heart. Worship's an issue of the heart. It's a heart issue. God isn't after us being robotic. He isn't after us going through some kind of formula but he's after us being responsive towards him. And I want to say this, that one of the key things when we think about worship, when we think about coming together, when we gather together, we should be expecting to experience the presence of God amongst us. Okay, We should have an expectation that we're going to meet with God. We want to be those who long for his presence. Can I tell you, it is a good thing to want to encounter him. Yeah, it's a good thing to want to encounter him. It's a good thing to want and long for his presence. We were made for that. We've been pre-programmed that way. And so we gather to meet with God because we want to encounter his presence. Gordon Fee said this, presence is a delicious word. It's a great quote, I love this. Presence is a delicious word because it points to one of our truly great gifts. Nothing else can take the place of presence. Not gifts, or telephone calls, or pictures, or mementos, nothing. 
Ask the person who's lost a lifelong mate what they miss the most. The answer is invariably presence. I wonder if I went round the room and I asked you to tell me of a significant moment in your life with God, I probably wouldn't get past the first person before I'm being told about, well, it was a moment in God's presence. Invariably, the response is, it was a moment in God's presence. That moment in a worship time where you just sensed that God was close to you. That moment where there was a prophetic word spoken right into your life. That moment when you were sat in a sermon and it was like God was speaking to you and you were the only person in the room. All of a sudden being away, gosh, God's in the room. God's in the room and he knows my name. I mean, just think about that. That we can know and be known by the living God. He knows your name. He knows everything about you. The number of days in your life, the number of hairs on your head. I'm not looking at anyone, okay. (laughs) He knows everything about you. Gosh, God's in the room. Do we come, when we gather to worship, do we come with an expectation, I want to meet with God. I'm going to engage with God. And God is going to be in the room. In the book of Genesis, right at the beginning of the Bible, we see Adam walking with God. He was in God's presence, freely enjoying relationship together. Do you know what? Through Jesus, in the new life that he gives us by the Holy Spirit, we too can encounter God's presence. We too can be near to God. We too can walk with him and live in relationship with him. And ultimately, we're going to be in his presence forever. One day, we're going to know his presence face to face in the permanent sense. That's something to look forward to. That's why we love. This is kind of this thing that's in us, that we love to sing songs like, draw me close to you. Never let me go. You're all I want. You're, you're, you're all I need to be in your presence, not, not rushing away. There's something that's built inside us that longs for that. We were wired for that. We were made for that. And even when you think about prayer, you've only got to turn to the Psalms to see how the undercurrent of adoration and worship is the fuel for prayer. David in Psalm 27, he says that one of the main things he asks God in prayer is to gaze on the beauty of the Lord. He says, one thing I've asked of the Lord, and that I'll seek after, that I may dwell in the house all the days of my life, to gaze on his beauty and inquire in his temple. In other words, of primary importance is to be in God's house, to focus on God in worship. He prays for other things. Of course he does. We pray for other things too. There are psalms of despair, aren't there? We can pray and call on God to intervene in our hearts, to intervene in the world. But, you know, at one level, what David's saying is, hey, listen, there is absolutely nothing better than to know the presence of God. There's absolutely nothing better than to know the presence of God. He says, oh God, earnestly I seek you. My soul is thirsting for you. I've looked upon you in the sanctuary. I've beheld your power and your glory because your steadfast love is better than life. My lips will praise you. It's a bit like the writer to the Hebrews who who encourages us to constantly and continually offer up a sacrifice of praise to God. That is the fruit of lips that acknowledge his name. David says, my lips will praise you. And so I will bless you as long as I live. In your name, I'll lift up my hands. My soul will be satisfied. That's a prayer. It sounds like worship to me. It's coming into God's house, into God's presence, to worship him and to love him. I'm, I'm trying to tell you, I'm trying to express to you, I'm trying to submit to you, I suppose, that we were made for his presence. 
And we can experience God's presence right now. As in now, now, right now. As in also now and forever. We can come freely and we can come just as we are. Isn't that extraordinary? I mean, what privilege. We can come freely and we can come just as we are. We don't have to bow and scrape. We don't have to pray awkward prayers in funny old-fashioned words. When my children come to me, okay, they come as they are. And sometimes it's a bit chaotic. Sometimes it's a bit messy, yeah? They're not saying, dearest father, I beseech thee, uh, inclineth thine ear and listeneth to my cry. I'm not getting any of that. They're not bowing. Maybe they should. No, 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 I don't, I don't, I don't mean that. They're not bowing. They're not tiptoeing. They come confidently. They come, they, they come right in. Do you know what? As sons and daughters of God, we can do exactly the same. We can do exactly the same. That's not to say that we should be irreverent when we come before God. But it means that we have direct access to God. We can come right into his presence. That's why the writer to the Hebrews says... Let us with confidence draw near to the throne of grace. That's why he says when he's talking about Jesus, that Jesus is able to save to the uttermost those who draw near to God through him, since he always lives to make intercession for them. It's because of Jesus. Okay, it's because of Jesus, because of his sacrifice at the cross, because of his death and resurrection, because he's now in heaven interceding for us not because of anything that we could have done, not because of anything that we've earned, not because of anything that we could have done by ourselves, but because of Jesus. We're undeserving. And yet, what extraordinary mercy, and what extraordinary grace, that we can come right into the presence of God, we can worship him freely, we can pray directly, we can come right to God as sons and daughters to a father who, I've got to tell you this, loves us dearly. Yeah? Do you know that? He loves you dearly. He delights in you. Do you know what? It's not just a longing on our part. It's not just that we should long to encounter God. It's not just that we should be those who desire and uh, have an appetite for God's presence, which I'm saying we should. It's a desire on God's part too. Yeah, It's a desire on his part too. One of the Bible's big themes is God's desire to dwell amongst his people. So God says to Moses, I want a people and I'm going to dwell among them. Yeah? I want a people and I'm going to dwell among them. And you read through the Old Testament and you see the tabernacle and you see the tent and you see a temple. And there seems to be this specific place where uh, the presence of God is and only some people, certain people can go there at a certain time. Do you know that's not the case anymore? We, we know that that's not the case anymore, right? Someone, someone nod their head. <laughs> yeah. Thanks. We now live in the age of the Spirit where the Holy Spirit has been poured out and is available for all of us to enable us to come into the presence of God. There used to be this physical temple, but hey, the Bible says that we're the temple. When Paul says that in the the New Testament, he says it four times. Once, he's talking about you individually, you've given your life to Jesus, the Holy Spirit has come in you and you are a temple of God. The other times, he's talking about all of us together. When we gather together... Yeah, When we gather together, God is here. 
He is with us. When we gather, God's with us. It means we don't have to wonder if he's going to turn up. It means we don't have to ask, is he going to be here? The nervous worship leader who looks around the room and no one's here yet and says, well, when two or three are gathered, you know, God's with us. No, no, no. God is here. When we gather, he is with us. God is in the midst of us. He's in the room. And we should be those who are after his presence. And I've been in meetings where someone brings a prophetic word. Maybe this has been the case for many of you. You've been in a meeting, someone brings a prophetic word or someone prays this great prayer of faith. And all of a sudden, the temperature of the room rises. Yeah? All of a sudden, the temperature in the room rises. Someone gets healed. Or you'll sit there listening to the sermon. I've listened to some boring sermons, I will say. But you know, there have been times when I've, I've been listening to someone preaching. And I say, wow, God is in the room. Yeah, God is in the room. The, the temperature just starts to rise. Do we have expectation that when we gather, God's with us? Friends, church was never intended to be a place where we serve God to the exclusion of meeting with him. Okay, It was never intended to be a place where one or two contribute and everyone else watches. When you, re- uh, when you read in 1 Corinthians 14, it says, When you gather, everyone, everyone has a psalm or a teaching or a revelation and so on. In reality, when we gather corporately with an expectation of meeting with God... What we want to hear is the heartfelt prayers of adoration and joy and praise. We want to hear scripture being read, loud singing, joyful worship, prophetic contribution. And I want to encourage you, I hope I'm allowed to do this, I want to encourage you to participate. I want to encourage all of us to participate. What does that mean? Sometimes you can listen to this and think, well, what does this mean practically? What does, what does that mean? Hey, listen, we can sing loudly. We can read scripture loudly. If you've got a faith-filled prayer of praise, pray it out. Yeah? If you've got a faith-filled prayer of praise, pray it out. I loved um, last week, just at the end of the meeting, Paul came forward, he felt that God had impressed on, on him something that he wanted to share and led us to pray together. And that was a great moment. Not so much, I mean, it was great because of what happened and what we were praying for, but more than that, because there's a moment where we're together and ones and twos feel, do you know what, God is leading me and I'm able to bring and share and contribute and we do it together. I want to encourage you to participate. What if you're a parent? Try and get the kids to clap along. <laughs> it, it, it's small. But decisions and how we, how we model things to our children, that has effects for generations, if you choose so. The decisions you make, deliberately deciding that as a family we're going to come to worship or not. I remember growing up and um, my parents had a, 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 um, like a, a, a picture, I suppose you'd call it, in, in the hallway. And it was a quote, it's from the book of Joshua, and it says, As for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. As for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. And I probably looked at that without even realising it every day. 
for 18 years. But the decisions that we make and how we um, model and how we disciple and how we encourage our children, let's get here. Let's worship. Hey, let's, let's clap. Why don't you sing along a bit? It might sound small. Actually, look, we don't, we don't save our kids. Jesus does that. But we can make deliberate decisions to put them in a place where they can meet with God. Yeah? Gathering to meet with God. Having an expectation that he's in the room. Having an expectation that we're going to meet with him. I put it to you that it affects your emotions. Church shouldn't be miserable. I went to church when I was a young child and um, particularly the men in the church, they, 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 they were very somber, very serious, very somber, very serious. I don't know if that was some kind of indication of how serious they were before God. I don't know. Friends, in the early church and in our church community, joy should be the characteristic of our life together yeah death is overcome death has been conquered we've been adopted into god's family i mean it's a revelation that should lead to some degree of joy within us we come to know the certainty of the promises of god we come to know the reality of the eternal security that that gives us it far outweighs anything that life can throw at us in uh, romans chapter 14 we read that the kingdom of god is righteousness peace and joy in the holy spirit Do you know sometimes we find joy in circumstances don't we so maybe when you opened your exam results, you were joyful. I wasn't particularly, but maybe you were joyful when you opened your exam results. Or maybe when the child was born, there was a moment of joy. Or when, fellas, you proposed and she said yes, right? There was a moment of joy. They're all moments of joy derived from a circumstance. Joy in the Holy Spirit is not like that. It's not derived from your circumstance. Joy in the Holy Spirit, I mean, I think about Paul writing to the Thessalonians, he says, you received the word through much tribulation and yet with joy in the Holy Spirit. Joy in spite of persecution, not derived from their circumstances. Joy in the Holy Spirit is a different kind of joy. It's spontaneous, it's almost involuntary, it's kind of unplanned for, it just, it just kind of happens, it just kind of pervades the, the, the atmosphere. A supernatural attitude of joy that's amongst us. It should be a characteristic of the gathered community of God. People who've experienced the presence of God and are devoted together to coming into his presence with an expectation to meet with him. I tell you what, you're going to have a foundation of worship, grateful, joyful hearts. When the Holy Spirit came on the uh, early community of believers at Pentecost, just in the little section before we, we read, they were so filled with joy that it just, they started speaking in different languages. It just kind of bubbled up and came out, out of them. Peter has to stand up and say, look, we're not drunk like you think. This joy, these, these languages, it's, it's a work of God in our lives. Friends, believers should be full of joy. Okay, that doesn't mean faking it. That doesn't mean like pretend joy. But actually, we've got some real things to be happy and joyful about, haven't we? All that God's achieved for us in Jesus. I'm not talking about faking it. I'm not talking about like pretend joy. But actually the undercurrent of our atmosphere together as a gathered community of people should be one of joy. If you read this, uh, the story of Nehemiah, when they return from exile and they're building the wall, they faced setbacks, they faced opposition, they faced persecution. It was a tough task. And yet in chapter 8 he says to them, don't be discouraged because the joy of the Lord is your strength. 
Well, isn't that irresponsible? Shouldn't we be miserable? I mean, we live in difficult days. We live in difficult days, don't we? Just think about the events in the news, be it the election or be it the terrorism and so on. You know, you know we, live in, we live in difficult days. No, do you know what? The, the joy of the Lord is God's joy. Joy in God isn't connected so much to our circumstances. Joy in God isn't connected so much to what's going on around us in that sense. And in the case of the people uh, that Nehemiah was leading, it actually says that their joy and their worship was heard from miles and miles and miles around. Jesus himself says, to enter the presence of God is to enter the joy of your master. David says, in the presence of God there is fullness of joy. And at his right hand are pleasures evermore. In his presence is the fullness of joy. And we're invited in. Delight yourselves in the Lord. Rejoice in the Lord always. It says this stuff all the way through. Over and over and over again. God invites us to delight in him. To be satisfied in him. To find our pleasure in him. Because he's a lasting source of joy. In his presence is the fullness of joy. It's so good for us to be those who sing loudly and make melody with all our hearts to God, knowing his joy within us and together as we gather. And you might say, yeah, but Graham, my circumstances don't really kind of incline me that way at this moment in time. I don't really feel all that joyful. Circumstances are so tough for me and I can't experience joy right now. The pressure of life disappointments that have come broken dreams unfulfilled dreams maybe things have come crashing down around you and hey listen I don't mean to diminish what you might be going through in your life because that will apply to some people here I'm sure you'll hear me talking about joy and you think yeah but really if you knew my circumstances and you knew my life you wouldn't be telling me to be joyful I I really don't mean to diminish what you're going through life isn't easy is it It's not always a walk in the park. We can have painful days and challenging days, dark days, difficult days. The Bible says that in all things God is at work to bring about good on our behalf. And that is something to cling to, but nonetheless, not everything that happens to us is good. Not everything itself tends towards good in and of itself. But I want to tell you that the joy of God comes by the Holy Spirit, not as a result of our circumstances. Which is why David says, though there may be pain in the night, joy comes with the morning. That God can loosen the sackcloth and clothe you with gladness. That he can turn mourning into dancing. We can trust in the Lord without feeling that we have to despair. Because his joy really can be our strength. The reality is that whatever's troubling us and whatever's destroying our peace, the answer ultimately doesn't lie in unravelling the circumstances. The answer lies in a fresh encounter with Jesus. And all of these things start by intentionally coming together and gathering to God. Coming together in his presence, desiring to meet with him, grateful heart, overflowing with joy and I want to ask you does that resemble us as a community here does that resemble us worshipping God should never be dull it should never be boring it should never be drab you shouldn't be falling asleep (laughs) 
It should never be dreary. Worship is supposed to be the overflow of jubilant spirits, full of cheer and delight. God wants it that way. The richest experience of this should be when we gather together. Friends, the world is miserable, but we don't need to join in. Yeah, the world's miserable, we don't need to join in. There's another source that we can tap into where there's perfect joy. So, our feelings and our emotions are going to be involved when we gather together with an expectation that we're going to encounter God. I want to say one more I want to say one more thing, I think. Worship isn't just a feeling thing. Okay, gathering together to worship and encounter God, it's not just a feeling thing. Okay? So, yes, he doesn't ever run out. Yes, he meets our deepest needs. But gathering together to worship involves all of us. Love the Lord with all of your heart and your mind and your soul and your strength. You know, our praise is most heartfelt when we engage our minds when we get to know him and know his truth and know his attributes, how from nothing he made everything that is, how the orbits of the planets and the stars are controlled by him, the whole of the universe upheld by the word of his power, how each star is named and numbered and positioned and put into place by him, how the diversity of creation is like this massive canvas painted over by this great master, this wonderful designer, displaying his glory and his majesty and his splendour. And do you know the Bible says? It says his eye is on the sparrow. Do you know what? If his eye is on a sparrow, how much more is he watching you and me? How much more is he watching you and me? So when we dwell on him, when we ponder him, when we engage our minds to learn more of him, it's what we need. Worshippers need to be occupied by the object of their worship, we need to get to know him and what he's done. We need to get past this mindset. I'm not saying that anyone has it, but I think it can kind of pervade, can't it? How can I be fulfilled? What am I going to get out of this? How can I be satisfied? Can I tell you what, you will be satisfied, but worship isn't for you. Worship is for God. You benefit from it, but it's for God. Terry Virgo said this, God is seeking worshippers, those who are... T- preoccupied with him, those who delight themselves in the Lord. They're fascinated by who he is. They find their richest experiences are in his presence, either in the great congregation or in the secret place. God is seeking lovers who will love him with all their hearts. He's seeking worshippers who will worship him in spirit and in truth. And then he kind of poses the question, are you one of those? And so, just very practically, we want to sing songs that are full of truth. We want to sing songs that declare the great truths of God. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly as you gather together. Yeah, when we gather together, let the word of Christ dwell in you richly as you sing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with gratitude in your hearts to God. We sing songs that express devotion and adoration and commitment. We want to sing songs to God. We sing songs together to God. We sing songs about God to one another, declaring his glory and his excellence and his brilliance and his majesty, making melody with all of our hearts to God, declaring together in a united sense as we're kind of in the room together, hey, listen, God is with us And we give thanks for all that he's done and for his presence with us. As we worship, declaring glorious truths of God to God helps us to grow in faith. Truth sets us free and truth sung with faith in the power of the Holy Spirit can have a mighty liberating effect on us. That was another Terry Virgo quote. I'm coming to a close. We're going to break bread in a minute. 
We're going to continue to worship. We're going to thank Jesus for all that he's done on our behalf. We're going to thank Jesus that we can come directly into the presence of God. But as I close, I just want to say this. Try not to distinguish between a prayer meeting and a worship meeting on a Sunday morning, but just thinking about us gathering together. A biblical church is a worshipping church. A context of awe and wonder and worship and much celebration. That's what we're looking for. Worship is our highest calling. Friends, we're a royal priesthood, the Bible tells us. And God wants to receive our offering of worship and love and adoration and devotion. He delights in it. And it's central to the whole Christian experience to express devotion and praise to Jesus in glorious times of worship together as a gathered community of the people of God. So when we gather, we want to make room for God to meet with him, to encounter his presence. I tell you what, encountering God transforms your life. A moment with Jesus and you're never the same. Yeah, a moment with Jesus and you are never the same. Worship is the main bit, okay? It's the central part. Even the preaching, you know, even Howard's like 10 out of 10 sermon, even the preaching, it's not to make you a better listener. It's to make you a better worshipper. Worshipping is the end game. We want to be a church where we encounter and experience the presence of God, where we gather together with an expectation that we're going to meet him. We're his people. We're the bride. We're the dwelling place for God in the spirit. We exist for him, right? We exist for him. Anything less than gathering together with an expectation and an appetite and a desire to meet with him, I think is to waste our time. And it's to totally misunderstand our identity. The early church devoted themselves to prayer and to worship. It underpinned everything that they were doing. And we should do exactly the same. Sundays are for God. They're for God's people to gather to God, to worship him and honour him, to tell each other and to sing of the greatness and the glory of God. Jesus being at the centre of all that we do. John Piper said this, we must crave personal and corporate encounter with God. In the end, the heart longs not for any of God's gifts, but for God himself. In the end, the heart longs not for any of God's gifts, but for God himself. To see him, know him, and be in his presence is the soul's final feast. Beyond this, There's no quest. Words fail. We call it pleasure, joy, delight. But these are weak pointers to the unspeakable experience. For more information, visit our website at godfirst.org.uk.